1: Welcome back to Keep It. This is Ira Madison. Hi, everybody.
2: Hi. Hello.
1: Oh, hello. Um, how are we doing?
2: Not great, bitch. <laughs> I know. It's almost a dumb question to even ask. How dare my white coworkers ask me how I'm doing over the weekend? What do you think? How do you think I'm doing?
3: I picture Girl. them lifting a little mug like this and asking, <laughs> like, like tipping their
1: head over it and asking you.
2: To, to be clear, the question was, did you have a good weekend?
1: Right. Oh, okay. So. Mm. The, I love believe. I love the um, influx of texts that have come, and I know some people wh- have been like, "What white people are y'all giving y'all phone numbers to?" I saw someone tweet, but also we have a lot of coworkers, um, oh, yeah. and also we, just we like, a Lewis. Lo- <laughs> yeah, <we have> Lewis, Lewis, <laughs> Lu- Lu- Lewis did not. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many more God, white wellness you know, checks I can take. Check in, how are you doing? And I'm like, listen. Oh, no. Some of the people who have checked in, I, I obviously uh, love. Otherwise, I would not have given them my phone number. Uh, well, there are some people who have it. But um, yeah, a lot of the like, how's it going? Um, last week, someone was like, what can I do? What should I be reading? How can I and help I, you? What yeah. should I be reading? And I was like, girl... I I screenshotted a page from Google.
3: (laughs) I'm going to say, if there's one thing you can find on the internet right now, it's what you should be fucking reading. Right.
2: Right. It, it's so annoying because i'm like i don't want to give you a reading list i do just happen to have one but it has nothing to do with you and like you know i gotta share it but right yeah, i understand
1: um I understand. i'm gonna share a reading list later in the episode because yes, i do know good. that our listeners love a love a book list they love to read uh, <laughs> they love to read <laughs> I hope y'all reading all these books and not just not just purchasing them and putting them on your shelf.
2: Collecting dust on the bookshelf. You better learn. You better crack that book open.
1: I was going to say that I felt like algorithmically,
3: everybody recommending books, it's like they knew white people could only handle a few because like, the same four kept coming to me over and yes. over again. So it's like, I guess I'm reading White Fragility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm, no, I'm no longer talking to white people about race. is a, a big one, too. Uh,
1: white Fragility yeah. is the number one book for white people <laughs> this week.
2: That's their Bible, truly. Oh, my gosh. But
1: also, it is Pride Month, and I need someone to write the white gay version of that book because the white gays are out of control, too. We're going to get into all that. Um, But we've still got a show for everyone today. We have um, some conversations that need to be had about the past week. That we're going to get into, mm-hmm. and we will also be joined by Bowen Yang of the Los Culturistas podcast and this little um public access TV show called SNL.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little rinky dink project they got going
3: on. <laughs> when people are talented and also friends with me, what's up with that? Very
1: suspicious.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be right back. Exciting news. Ahead of this year's elections, the team at Cricket has been hard at work trying to find the best ways for all of you to impact its results aside from casting your own ballot. Now they have an answer. Vote Save America's brand new Adopt-A-State program.
3: The Adopt-A-State program lets you directly support the work of organizers, volunteers, and candidates in the six key battleground states that will be most important to winning a progressive majority in 2020. And those are, of course, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina.
1: When you sign up to Adopt-A-State at votesaveamerica.com adopt, you'll get specific calls to action. Things you can do yourself from home right now. That will make a huge impact on the races in these states. What state are you going to adopt?
3: Oh, gosh. Well, due to the Madonna credibility, I think I will have to pick Michigan. Mm. She does make fun of them an awful lot, and I feel bad for them. They just
1: have a bunch of peninsulas. They're fine people. (laughs) I will, of course, be picking my home state of Wisconsin.
3: Will they take you? They'll take you Mm. back? Okay, great.
1: Um, I'm going to start doing Keep It, Wisconsin edition. Just me in a field with a cow talking about the election
3: lots of lakes (laughs) the occasional tall tree
1: anyway you can adopt a state now at votesaveamerica.com adopt on may 25th 2020 a black man named george floyd was murdered by derek chauvin a white minneapolis police officer in a neighborhood south of downtown minneapolis While Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down on a city street during an arrest, Chauvin kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Two minutes and 53 seconds of that time occurred after Floyd became unresponsive. Three other officers participated in Floyd's arrest. All were placed on leave, but none of them were charged. And of course... This came after um, the recent deaths of Breonna Taylor in Louisville and Ahmad Armory in South Georgia. And with all of these happening, sort of one after the other, and no charges immediately being brought to the officer, uh, no arrest even happening, largely peaceful protests erupted across the United States beginning in Minneapolis the day after the murder. Um, Three days later, protesters burned the police department in the third precinct, resulting in the National Guard being called in. It's estimated that up to 80% of protesters in Minneapolis and Atlanta, another city where a lot of protests were happening, particularly those instigating violence, were non-locals. This is reported, but of course there's been difficulty confirming all of this. We've now seen protests in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, yeah. globally, to be honest. And it's feeling a lot like Ferguson, um, but on a much larger scale. Yeah, The globally is sort of what hit me too, because I do remember traveling during that period and attending, I think, like a protest in London.
2: Yeah, it's painful. I mean, I have cousins in Berlin and Stockholm who are telling me that people are in the streets as well, protesting for Black Lives Matter. And globally, there is just a huge amount of outrage that we're all feeling. And honestly, I don't know how to process my emotions every day. It's a new whole set of grieving and mourning and figuring things out. And it's difficult to even balance the anger because another death will pop up, another death will pop up. There's even another death that happened in, in Nebraska, in my home state, on Saturday, um, where a boy was shot by a white supremacist. His name was James Scurlock. So every day we're just faced with a whole new set of evils that we have to sift through, and it's, it's overwhelming.
3: Right. I would also say that it's, I think, even hard to reconcile your own feelings when you are then constantly processing new information. Mm-hmm. Like, you're never putting down the phone. You're never turning off the TV and even if some of the same information is being reiterated it's not like you sit with it i mean even just the footage of police seemingly on cue doing some of the most cartoonishly obvious shitty things uh, i have ever seen yeah it, it, like that alone is its own planet of insanity that you can't wrap your head around let alone actual murder let mm-hmm. alone what the fuck we're doing yes. in america what like my understanding of america's com- you know is is shifting or Catching up to reality, I guess, is the correct answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the layers of of reconciling just never end.
1: Girl, the videos of like cops just like walking down the street, shoving people, hitting people with cars. I am currently not in Los Angeles. Um, I drove um, out of the city um, because I uh, needed to visit with a friend. And I'm also on deadline for a writing project. Not that I've been doing (laughs) any of that writing um, (laughs) because I feel like from the minute I wake up, even more so than in quarantine, I am on my phone reading.
2: nonstop, Just
1: my timeline. And then you're just constantly reading, responding to things, finding out new things. It's horrific but a friend is staying at my apartment in los angeles while i'm gone and the the text that he's just sent about like hearing gunshots like the rubber bullets and like finding them on the street um the next day and then just like the the curfews being instituted seeing police strolling in and just like coming in on like huge trucks like holding on to the side of them. I'm like, what kind of fucking police state (laughs) have <laughs> we devolved into?
2: Yeah. And it's it's just so utterly terrifying. I'm getting, you know, it's it's I, as a black person, I'm like, have to check up on all my black friends, and I have to contact them and make sure they're okay, because a lot of them are in the thrush of it, or they're right in Brooklyn, they're right in Fort Greene, they're right in Koreatown, they're right in just any place in, in these major cities where they look outside, and there's tanks outside, the National mm-hmm. Guard has been deployed, they look up, and there's choppers everywhere, like, their home is not even a place of solace anymore, and I'm playing this game for we're having to figure out my friends want to protest they want to be in the streets but i want them to be alive mm-hmm. it's very complicated and you have to text your homies and be like can you go home please please yeah. it's it's so difficult it
1: is hard because you want to protest so people should be protesting yeah but when these cities mm-hmm. institute these curfews it's like what can you do you know i have So many friends who've just already been, like, rounded up or detained because they've been out past this curfew, especially for Los Angeles, right? And, I mean, I'm still getting those emails and texts, and I don't know what the fuck— garcetti is doing um, with these like for,
3: up to the minute changes in the curfew where it's suddenly like I, hate him. I feel like um i'm in james and the giant peach and aunt spiker just threw me in my fucking closet go. so i can't go to fucking i can't go outside yeah
1: truly truly garcetti being like sending out texts like curfew was two hours ago in case you didn't know so you should (laughs) have been home already
2: get your ass home
3: bend the confines of (laughs) space and time and get home yesterday yeah
1: and he's already been wholly embarrassing you know I mean there is the homelessness crisis that we've talked about in Los Angeles before Uh, we've had Nithya Rahman on the show talking about the city council in Los Angeles before and just how LA is basically beholden to the city council and it's the mayor is sort of beholden to them too but i don't know this week just like the goodwill that he built up from a lot of the testing and being ahead of the curve on the coronavirus pandemic in los angeles has all been eroded by one (laughs) last week before all this shit was happening garcetti was like by the way los angeles is open restaurants are back uh just just go eat And you're seeing like restaurants like the fucking Abbey open again. Were you that desperate to get to the Abbey to have some horribly made (laughs) drinks with a stripper dancing near you in the daytime? (laughs) And um, the other restaurants being open. And then all these protests started. And you know he must have been pissed. Because (laughs) uh, these curfews now are ruining the restaurant openings that white people were Angry and protesting for just a couple weeks ago, uh, the stark contrast of all of those protests with these protests now have been so glaring.
3: Also, by the way, this is so obvious, but the intersection of Corona with all this is also fucking cursed. Mm-hmm. When you watch these protests or when you're at these protests, I don't know if people feel kind of um muzzled by having to wear a mask or something, but to not see that also is like first in LA recently. We had our largest single one-day spike in corona recently. And so to, yeah. to watch that, it's like, oh, now there's this other existential dread paired on top of it. Again, layers. I'm sorry to be so inarticulate. It sucks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. We're all balancing all of our feelings and all this, all of this, all the factoids, everything that we're learning every day. Like, I didn't even know that about corona because I had forgotten we were in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Completely had forgotten because we're handling this other systemic pandemic that we've been dealing with for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's just the pain that I'm feeling along with the way the music industry is pretending like they are protesting for George Floyd, the way other people are doing the performative activism and then the conversations around performative activism. I can't fix everything all at once. We can't. And it's making it so difficult to focus. Fuck you, P Diddy.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well now let's, let's talk about the music industry, right? Okay. Oh, so speaking of the music industry, as we are recording today, we are in the midst of a blackout on social media. <laughs> it was launched by Jamila Thomas, a senior director of marketing at Atlantic Records, written to industry colleagues, launching a hashtag the show must be paused. Um, And it was supposed to be labeling the day Blackout Tuesday. She and her partner in the initiative, former Atlantic Records employee, Brianna Agumang, they made sort of a call to action, asking people who work in music, entertainment, and show business to pause on Tuesday because the show can't just go on as our people are being hunted and killed. It was basically supposed to be don't, be on Zoom calls talking about Black artists, you know, and, and roll out plans and like, don't be selling your music, don't be promoting it, et cetera. I guess it was supposed to be for non Black people to be quiet and amplify Black voices today, right? But in the late hours of Monday night, all I saw was everybody's Instagram going to Black and writing hashtag Black Lives Matter. Which then clogged the Black Lives Matter hashtag on Instagram. And so many other people were just like putting up their black. Screen and then being like, I'm taking a break from social media. I'm like, this is the last (laughs) thing you should be doing today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There was nothing more frustrating to me than seeing someone like Travis Scott, who has not spoken on this in any way, just post a black square with no caption and probably go to bed happy that night. Like, it is the most... And it it, it hurts at a sharper angle, too, because George Floyd was a musician. Like, he really was a musician who worked with DJ Screw. He was a very, very notable hip-hop person in the Houston hip-hop sphere not even underground, he was very revered and loved Big Floyd. Like It just feels like the music industry of all people are failing him, P. Diddy, Killer Mike, all of these people who should be speaking out,
3: but Mm. are speaking
2: up and saying the wrong things.
3: I understand the need for unification and wanting solidarity on social media, but at the same time, I personally feel like Instagram is a not optimal place for it, but a good place to spread actual information. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of helpful links of like, like I think I first saw, you know, a link about donating to the NAACP legal fund on Instagram or whatever. And that's just the kind of thing we're we're in this critical window where I think that space is better designated for that kind of stuff right now.
4: Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. Particularly, are Instagram stories, right? And you can share things very quickly. And Instagram stories are less clogged than a Twitter feed where you may follow so many more people than you do on Instagram. And if you follow the right people on Instagram, you're finding places to go. But yeah, there's a lot of people who flock to Instagram for, unfortunately, performative moments that feel like solidarity but aren't really solidary. I mean, the Blackout Tuesday reminds me of so many other things that happen when something like this rolls around, you know? I mean, it was funny seeing the blackouts happen literally hours after – Every white person was posting the rainbow flag with a black fist in it. Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah I was like, yeah. go
1: ahead, girl. give us nothing. <laughs> 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 Just some photos <laughs> right. get get your photo up like Trump walking to a church and holding a Bible,
2: yeah, you know, and also <laughs> <laughs> i would I would hope that during this time while we're trying to change the the way it is for black people in america that we also change celebrity culture and we dismantle celebrity culture (laughs) only only in the ways that there are some people like i we've started to revere some of these celebrities as our gods and then they start to speak and it's like oh bitch you don't know shit (laughs) you don't know anything about anything and, I, you know, I hope that if they can't say the right things, that they're at least showing up with their pockets. Because that's the only way they're useful right now.
3: Mm-hmm. What are you trying to say about Madonna? That she somehow didn't <laughs> nail it with her <laughs> weird post of her son dancing and then hashtagging Michael Jackson? What are you say?
1: <laughs> hey, you. Open your purse. <laughs> that's basically what everybody has been tweeting to every celebrity <laughs> all fucking mm-hmm. week. And um I've been surprised actually by the celebs are usually minor ones, not not the mega ones who you don't really expect anything from, right? I'm like you just just donate some money. You know, like when Aubrey sent out some money, Don't like talk, Drake, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, you know what? That's great. He didn't talk. He, he donated some money and that's what we need uh, to amplify other voices and to help people who need money right now. Uh, I've been surprised by some of the other like smaller celebs on Twitter who actually are just retweeting things are um, liking things and are seem to be like taking in the content daily. Um, and, being behaving just sort of like the rest of us. Uh, I really love Kalani. Yes, girl. She was one of the first people who was like, "What? what is this blackout, y'all? <laughs> and mentioning the fact that a blackout day isn't going to really do anything when the music industry does not respect black voices in general and doesn't treat them with the respect that it treats white voices and doesn't pay artists what they should be paying them. And... Um, the thing that she did point out, um, and also um, our friend Sani pointed it out too, you know, a lot of people are tweeting at any celebrity, open your purse, open your purse. This one, I think it's a big estimation about what people's finances are.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because Kalani well, I, pointed that totally, out. Totally, totally. By the way, the internet is the worst resource for how much a celebrity is worth too, which people <laughs> consistently <laughs> I believe know. Yes. Don't look
2: up a net worth. They're always wrong. They're always wrong.
1: Right. And Kaladi pointing out that the money that you think artists have, it is the record labels that have them. And uh, the people who make these albums, they're the ones with the money. They're the ones that own the masters. They're the yeah. ones that get residuals. You know, uh, the artists make money off of touring and merch and shit. And they're not making a lot of money off touring now. I mean, why do you think? Gaga is dropping a jockstrap every other week. That's how she's getting her money. <laughs> you got to get these gays to buy the merch. <laughs> uh, and not just celebrities, you know, it extends to other people even like us, right? Because we're, we're talking about money that we want to donate. And obviously you want to mm-hmm. be held accountable and show a receipt Uh, But after a while, I I like showed a few receipts. And then I was like, let me cut off half of it. Like, because one, I just feel it feels weird to just say how much you're donating each time, to be honest. And you don't want other people to feel uncomfortable, like they have to match it as well, especially if they can't. And you know, it's also like, I don't just have money lying around, you know. <laughs> I have a family I know. and other finances and things that I yes, have to support. Yes, we've all talked openly about our
2: debt, our stu- Yeah, our student debt that we still have looming, you know. That's constantly in the background and it's this I'm I'm, I'm writing this line too, of I agree with you that that's a difficult thing for me to even figure out. But also, I'm trying to remind myself that there is an importance in transparency right now, mm-hmm. which I know you've done because you've posted it all in the first place. But every time I'm like, Ugh, "Should I do it? Should I do it?" I think about maybe that could you light the fire under someone else's ass to take their the only important black square out of their pocket, which is the wallet, <coughs> and to donate. So I, on that
3: same token, like when I donate, like I personally like haven't just posted the receipt, and I feel like yeah. the reason for that is it's more a fear of being called the virtue signaler or something. You know Mm -hmm. it's like? but it's like, get like in a way, like I think now is an okay time to just get over like the egotistical part of this. Just, just, just post it, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And in my case, I know that you guys have probably seen that I've been trying to raise money for David McAtee who passed in Louisville, Kentucky. And every time I want to post that we've reached a new goal or that we have, that we've gotten access to the certain celebrity, whatever to raise awareness, I get worried that people are gonna think that I'm doing this for a vanity project or for something like that, and that you're worried that people will think you're making this about you, but you also have to move past that and maybe even allow them to think that so that you can help these funds get raised or you can help awareness be raised. It is a, this is a very transformative time for all of us. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm becoming more radicalized during this time, more involved with community organizing, something that I wasn't as much concerned with prior to this.
1: At the end of the day, social media is nothing but virtue signaling. Yeah. I mean, w- whether you're virtue signaling that you are doing something good, the very nature of posting a photo of you somewhere or of tweeting that you're doing something is signaling to other people that you're doing something, you know? And if I can be performative about marathoning normal people, all week and mm-hmm. watching these Caucasian people have sex very well. Um, Paul Mescal Paul Mescal is a god. Um, you know, you can also post that you're donating this money. And honestly, yeah. you, the people who will sit at home and wonder if you're raising money for the right reasons. I mean, honestly, who gives a fuck about them? Because you're raising the money. Yeah, Truly.
2: Also,
3: additionally, like, if I see that one of my good friends has posted for a cause, like, I already feel bonded to that person anyway. So, like, I don't know. Like, to me, I, I, I naturally feel like, oh, I should go and join them. You know what I mean? Like, there's just something social about that.
2: Definitely. Definitely. And especially thinking about the fact now that I didn't realize how large our platforms had gotten. Because as much as this is a job and this is something that we do for people's entertainment i had normalized it i had normalized like these are my friends we just talk shit on a podcast but no we have a, a a opportunity and i think a duty to share this information and to be vigilant right now
1: yeah i think that's really sort of hard to grapple with too i mean i can i mean lewis can speak to it with me right you know i mean from starting keep it in 2018 to sort of now uh it is still just sort of weird thinking about The amount of people who will listen to it and, you know, like us wanting to, that's why I'm providing a reading list a bit later too, you know, it's just like people are listening and you should be speaking on any platform you have. And I think that was the nature of the Blackout Tuesday too, right? You know, you are amplifying other voices and I just hope that people are looking for things to do. We talked about not texting your black friends, asking what to do, you know, like look for resources (laughs) yourself. They're there. And again, I'm going to (laughs) say, I I feel like social
3: media this weekend has been particularly um, rad in the universe of how you can sort of um, have at your disposal, like, real tools. Like there are people who've written about this for years. Uh, something that drives me crazy about this particular moment and something that's extra vexing is by this point, we have had so many extremely popular entertainments about this subject. You know what I mean? Like we, we have like not just get out, not just Black Klansmen. There have been tons of books, tons of movies. And to I, I I feel like in a way POC are feel so much like they're reiterating the same things that have been reiterated at like hyper pitch for the past five years, so I feel like the tools are there, you know, for white people specifically to do this work on their own. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I I feel like this is the absolute last time any white person is allowed to be like, oh, you know, I felt very embarrassed for not speaking up before, but now <laughs> I'm using my voice. I'm like, yes. bitch, if you're if you're saying that like in 2022, we need to talk. Uh, when we're going through some <laughs> shit like this again. I'm pulling up to the house. <laughs> drop, but drop, but the, way. drop the Addy, I'm pulling up.
2: <laughs> I'm posting. I'm taking the phone. I'm saying something for you. This is embarrassing.
3: Well, I think also, by the way, like there is a reticence among people to speak up now because it pulls into focus the fact that there's absolutely no reason they shouldn't have spoken up before. Yep. So there's an embarrassment in speaking up because obviously this is nothing new. Even in regards to, or especially in regards to, and I'm sorry to bring up the name, but Trump, because he is he is only giving you what he has promised right So to comment on him now for the first time feels somewhat insane even seeing Taylor Swift post it's like I'm glad she did um, and she's now you know used her gigantic platform a, a couple of times you know admirably. <laughs> but there is always that layer of come on now, you know
1: right And you also have to remember that, This is what we were talking about when we would have episodes about Taylor Swift not speaking up, right? Uh, At the time, so many people being like, you're asking so much of this pop star, etc. And now I think we realize that I'm glad people did, you know? (laughs) I'm glad people spoke up because now she is using her platform. And it should be embarrassing that she didn't speak up before and... We're all embarrassed about a lot of things that we've done in the past, but the way to get over that embarrassment is to keep it moving, you know? Do what you need to do. Feel that embarrassment. Either apologize for it or deal with it in yourself and keep moving on. Like, I'm embarrassed by things that I've done before, you know? I held a fucking rally for Pete Buttigieg. (laughs) (laughs) That you did. We all make mistakes.
2: We really all do make mistakes. Truly
1: behind the curve of most other black people um, in America. Um, And now I've seen the light and I can look at his ransom note tweets during this time and be like, wow. Wow. He really ain't saying shit, is he? I
2: know. His <laughs> ransom note, his like random text, looks like he put it in a word generator <laughs> tweet.
1: It is like he is just tweeting out things from a word-a-day calendar. <laughs> this is the America that should be America. Uh, if we want change, we can change. Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> tweeting that shit, too. A lot of empty rhetoric right now from a lot of people who really just shouldn't know better.
2: I'm so to be I, honest. Am, I am actually grateful that again, that their stupid is showing, that their inability is showing, <laughs> their inability to speak on anything other than what they do is showing. But here's another thing that I wanted to actually talk to you guys about was that I have friends who are posting their white friends who are posting their little mixtapes, posting their new project they're working on, posting some of their screenplays. And I'm very of the mind that we shouldn't be posting anything unless it helps or heals during this time. But content creators, artists, performers are all having to sift through and figure out what it is that they can add to this narrative right now. And, you know, content feels kind of frivolous to me right now. And I, But I understand entertainment is how some people stabilize their mental health. So I just wanted to know, like, what do you guys think about people who think they're adding levity to the world right now, but might just be posting some bullshit?
1: You know... I think James Baldwin has talked so much about the role of the artist, uh, especially in times like these, and I would argue that not everything that sparks change is the obvious social justice route. You know, I think that, for instance, a film like Moonlight isn't about social justice on the surface, right, but in showing images of black love and queer black love, it sparks change and is a powerful statement. Uh, I think that now is the time where if you aren't a person who is going to be making an Ava DuVernay documentary 13th, (laughs) then you can spark change in other ways, you know? I know that myself as a writer, um, just the things that I care about and want to write about are going to maybe spark change in a sense that they are telling stories that we haven't told before, you know? I don't think... Daybreak, the Netflix show that I was on, um, did a lot for social justice, Mm -hmm. but there is something to be said about writing queer love stories for a platform like Netflix and, you know, pitching out and creating a queer black character and putting him on screen in a way that he hadn't been put on screen before, you know? So I think that there are ways for artists to be helpful and I think that's ultimately up to one, the artist, and two, up to the consumers. You know, I mean, post your shit. If we look at it and it's trash, we're going to call it out, right? <laughs> um, but I think a lot of people, you can have, you know, sort of the wherewithal to know whether or not you should be posting about something specifically. Have some discretion, I guess. You, you, you should, if you're if you're an artist and you're creating things, like you, you're not stupid. I would hope. <laughs>
3: Yeah, Aida, I'm of two minds about that, which is to say I think there's a Venn diagram here between you spoke specifically about laughs mm-hmm. between comedy and truth-telling, and I feel like I would err on the side of just statements that are true more than statements that are outright hilarious. Let's <laughs> say if I'm talking about um what you post on Twitter. That said, I do think there's a version of like a shocking laugh or a um, unexpected laugh that I think can lodge valuable information into people's heads, too. But, a Jabuki uh, tweet, I, 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 for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, perfect example. perfect <laughs> example. a good example. Yes. Yeah. Where, like, it, it's so harsh and so... But also so fresh. You know, like, it feels like it speaks to the moment in a way that a lot of other social media doesn't. So... You're right. I think, Ira, you brought up the word discretion. I mean, it's hard to ask for that in these times. It's hard to certain people, but yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm sure we'll talk about this with Bowen Lewis. But you know, I am very glad that Lady Gaga dropped an album last weekend because, Jesus uh, Christ!
3: I mean, I mean, like to even have the slightest. I I hate using the word diversion in this case because it makes it sound like, Mm. oh, you're putting everything off or whatever. But it's like your brain needs to have something else in it in order for you to like function, I guess. So for that reason, it was nice to tune into Lady Gaga at the end of the day. Yes.
1: Also, it's one queer dance music. So what do you think queer people have been doing for decades? You know, visiting discos in the 70s, you know, at the height of. um, Homophobia in America and racism, and it music has always been an escape. And I think the people who are adamant about not listening to music now, or telling you that listening to something like Lady Gaga's new album is a diversion, are one, they're doing their own kind of virtue signaling, right? Letting you know that they're being quote unquote important right now and it also just ignores the fact that one we're human beings with 24 hours on the fucking day <laughs> um please do not expect me to sit in front of a television screen watching destruction all day yeah because that is not good for anyone's psyche and so many therapists will tell you that racism is trauma and it's stress. black people are traumatized in America. Stress. Um queer people are traumatized in America and to continue to process that trauma and take it in every day. It doesn't
2: serve you. It doesn't serve the people around you. Go listen to a fucking album. <laughs> yeah. Go dance. Go do something. It's like the onus is on you to continue to look up history. And you can go down. This has happened so many times that I could be learning about riots for the next 10 years. And it wouldn't stop. We're here, and then you get the information, you can contextualize it, and you learn about Rodney King, and you go to the Detroit riots in 1967, and then there's riots before that. So it, this is just endless material. You need to have an out, and I don't consider it, music and art, to be as a form of escapism as much of, as a form of release. You of know?
1: course. Stonewall riots. Um, there've yeah. been, there's, 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 there's a riot down the block. Every girl, I forgot I was gay. I (laughs) forgot I was gay,
2: bro. This is just so much. Pride happened, and I was like, "Oh, I like girls." Oh, thanks for reminding me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, girls, same. I haven't been in the vicinity of a dick, so
2: (laughs) marry, marry a pussy around. Um, It's so sad. (laughs) It's a
1: good reminder that this moment is important, but this moment is also not abnormal. Yeah. These things have happened in America for centuries. These things have happened in the world for centuries uh, and if we just stopped making any sort of music or any sort of art ever, we wouldn't have any. Yep. You know? Um, it's weird to say, well, we shouldn't be listening to this now. We don't have the time to listen to it. Uh, we didn't have time last year Um It's it's, it's actually weird that you thought we had time last year to listen to it. (laughs) Uh, There's never a good time for any of this shit because there's always something horrific that's going on in this country.
2: Also, if you were a white person telling me how to spend my time right now, you could eat a dick. You could get so (laughs) blocked. You could get blocked so quickly. So quickly. Also,
3: this is an especially interesting time when we have not just Lady Gaga's new album, but Dua Lipa's new dance album. And I think one of the great things about being a 33-year-old white queer person specifically <laughs> is picking a side in these imaginary battles. So You
2: love that album. Are you Dua Lipa side then? You know what? You're I, a Dua I mean,
3: we'll get into this with both. I, in terms of personality, I'm way more Lady <laughs> Gaga. But in terms of track by track, Quality. I'll probably
1: go do a leap. In this case,
3: these are complicated philosophical questions. You can't just stress me <laughs> oh, out like that.
1: Well, you're absolutely wrong, <laughs> and we will talk about that bit. <laughs> anyway, I think we have exhausted ourselves. Mm-hmm. If you are looking for um, some way to help, um, there are plenty of resources like. Um, Campaign Zero and Reclaim the Block, which are policy initiatives you can advocate for. Reclaim the Block is Minnesota-specific, and it advocates reallocating police resources for communities. We should definitely be defunding police departments. Uh, We'll be talking about that more later when we get to my keep it. Um, And search for some GoFundMes. We'll provide links on the Crooked website with the – Episode when this has dropped. Um, But, you know, GoFundMe's for George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, the Minnesota Protester Bail Fund, the Brooklyn Protester Bail Fund, Atlanta Solidarity Fund, and then, you know, other organizations like the Bail Project, the Black Visions Collective, uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. So there is no shortage of places where you can. Open your purse.
4: <laughs> I
3: want to add to that. Um, a friend of mine, Matt Whitaker, a brilliant comedy writer, said something that stuck with me, which is pick something you're passionate about. Uh, pick a way to donate and then think of that recurring donation as an investment. You know, something yeah. you are adding to constantly as opposed to just like, oh, can I pay for this? You know, there's, there's something edifying about finding something you can consistently donate to.
1: Right. The good fight had its season finale, so (laughs) cancel that CBS All Access subscription.
2: It's over. (laughs) What are you going to watch, Madam Secretary? You're done. Get off CBS. You're fine. (laughs) When we're back,
1: we'll be joined by Bo and Yang. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. is the host of the wildly popular Los culturistas podcast <laughs> and just wrapped his first season as a cast member on snl from the comfort of his own home <laughs> here to kick off pride month with us is Bowen and yang wait i'm kicking off pride month with you yes, <laughs> this, yes. Is, this is our first episode of pride it's bitch. june 2nd
4: boo <laughs>
5: Oh, <laughs> parade float, Bo and Yang, yes. Yes. <laughs> grand grand marshal of Cupid It, Bo and Yang. Yeah. Yay,
1: <laughs> oh, I'll allow
5: it. <laughs> no,
1: wow, it's an honor. <laughs> it's I an am. Honor. So happy you're here because Matt Rogers has been here three goddamn times. Yeah, I think yes. four actually at this point. Talking. And we've had enough. Well, you've you've had had enough.
3: enough. <laughs> we, we have to keep inviting him back until he gets it right, and we're waiting. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, because
1: I mean, I, what, like, the, what's the split
5: between when he was a guest, between him being a guest and him co- filling in as co-host?
1: Right, he filled in as co-host. I think like twice, two times. Yeah, Ooh, two times cool. has been a guest and then. Also came back with Dave.
4: Mm.
2: So that, wow, so four times he's been on the pod, right?
1: Yeah, I, wow. There's some like
5: it's disgusting. Ca- yeah, disgusting. There's some like Cara Diaguardi like connection there, where it's like <laughs> <laughs> he auditioned to be on the. Sh- he auditioned to be sort of like a mainstay, but couldn't hack it or whatever. Mm-hmm.
3: Cara Diaguardi is one of my favorite <laughs> stories, by the way, in pop culture, which I think I've brought up before, because she was brought on to be a, a pro yeah. to to be totally. Um, Objective, like an executive, and then Paula left, and then they made her be Paula and like hug Simon all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: She got a note. Yeah, Tug is Henley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, Simon's Henley's.
4: <laughs> Gross. Gross.
1: The even grosser part of Simon was the many years that we fully had to put up with this fake story that he and Paula Abdul were just like fucking <laughs> constantly doing skits about how they were attracted to one another.
4: Oh right! Right, yeah, yeah. That was, that they excited. did go
3: for a sketch comedy, and then <laughs> Heidi and Tim did that on making the cut. That was sort of taking up that mantle. And by the way, I didn't want that mantle taken up, so <laughs> Ooh, problems.
1: Dang! What culture have you been into lately, Bowen?
5: I've been very um, film averse lately. I don't know why.
2: I can't sit for anything that long anymore. Anyway. No, me neither. <laughs> oh no!
5: The last thing—the last movie I watched was. In Bruges, and what an
3: awful film. What an awful <laughs> In Bruges is exactly like, when I was in college, what would appear in a frat guy's favorite movies. Like, yeah, it, it would, yes. It would maybe be the second or third
1: line, yeah. but it wouldn't, yeah. Because you know. <laughs> it had just After come out. After Boondock Saints. Yes.
5: <laughs> Truly. Smoke and Aces. Yeah. Smoke and Aces. Oh, God. In Bruges came out, yeah, like right around... Like, I think towards the end of high school for me, and, I don't know, I, I, I just didn't go to a school where, like, people were into film, like, that wasn't, like, a click or anything, so I watched it in college, and I was like, this is pretty cool, like, oh, this Martin McDonough guy, yeah, yeah, um, and then watching it now, especially after Three Billboards, it just, like, it, it, it puts it all into focus, where it's like, oh, this guy is, like, obsessed with little people, and he's obsessed with calling people fat, and, like, I'm not, I'm not digging Martin. <laughs> oh, right. I was, no. rem, I was he, remi- reminded of how bad he was.
3: Something I have reconciled with recently, though, is that I don't like the projects he picks generally, and I specifically don't like his roles in most movies. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Colin Farrell is a really good actor. Agree. What was he doing in Widows? What was he doing in Saving Mr. Banks? But I do think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's got a sort of talent and a, and a rage befitting of like, you know, a five foot three Irishman or whatever he is.
5: <laughs> he's five foot three. <laughs> he's
2: short. I don't know how short he is. He's <laughs> gotta be. He's, he's, gotta he's gotta not be? tall. Yeah. Oh my God. I, yeah. the proportions feel I that truly
1: way. love Colin Farrell. And I do agree that he's, the good projects are few and far between. Uh, <laughs> phone booth is great. Uh, maybe one of the best things Joel Schumacher has done besides putting nipples on Batman so there's mm-hmm, that
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm.
1: and also that insane vulture profile of him as well
3: where he was like oh I have fucked 25,000
1: people you're talking about Joel <laughs> yeah. Schumacher right yes Joel, <laughs> Joel Schumacher who it, for those listening if they don't know that he is gay and which you should have known from seeing Batman and Robin uh, so his vulture profile <laughs> just goes full faggot truly <laughs> talking <laughs> about how many people he has just fucked <laughs> 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 and like, okay, wow, the '90s in Hollywood were swinging. If you were a gay director,
5: <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I was gonna say, I feel like vulture profiles and in interviews are like among the most—I don't know—gay candid. Like the No Galvin interview was very interesting. I mean, that I mean, was a obvi- cultural reset. It was. It really was. <laughs> I don't know. I really liked the Noah one. I like Jeremy O'Harris's. Like I don't like. It's yeah. It's e Alex Jung at new at uh, New York Magazine who like does a lot of like the the ones that I'm interested in. And like it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like I like it. I like a gay vulture profile.
1: That's all I'm saying. He gets the girls talking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like <laughs> Bowen is referring like... <laughs> specifically
3: to a Noah Galvin interview. Noah Galvin used to be on the show The Real O'Neill's yes. and, and he eventually filled in for Ben Platt in. Dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. but he gave this interview that he rescinded somewhat afterwards, probably mostly pressured by the network he was working for, but he talked about being gay, and it was very candid in a way that gay actors routinely exactly. don't feel they can be. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, calling out Brian Singer. Yeah. Specifically calling out Colton Haynes. That was, that was tough, <laughs>
5: but um, anyway... I just love a good vulture interview, and then I was gonna say, oh, I, I just, I'm, and my friends and I are just obsessed with how Evan Hansen's just
1: date each other. It's so cool. Yeah, right. there's two pairs <laughs> yes. of them. Two yes. pairs. He, he, he filled in for Ben Platt, and then he filled in for Ben Platt. <laughs> Oh <God>. <laughs> <laughs> What could be worse than that comment? Okay. I love it. I
5: love it. Oh, Ira. Ira, you know what what my big memory from, like, the great before is, is um, truly, oh, this was Last Pride. This was the Ty Sunderland um, party Last Pride that we were both at. And I remember just, like, I mean, I was rolling my fucking head off. But you, I remember, posted, like, some Instagram story of Ty playing Who Do You Think You Are Mm. um, by Spice Girls. And... I just remember this is just this is just quintessential IRA to me. Um but the the, the text on it was I don't know a better DJ. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'll
5: never forget it anyway.
3: That's from World Pride? That's from yeah. World Pride, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you in yeah. town for that? Yes, you were. I saw you. Yes, yes, yes. That does feel like an eternity ago. When I think of <laughs> World Pride, which was of course a joining of all the countries in the world who yes. came together for Pride in New York last year. I've never seen anything like it, and I suspect I never will again. Oh, yeah. Um, when I think of that time, I think of Madonna's Madam X album having just come yes. out. So unfortunately, that space is dominated by the song "God Control," which is barely a song but very long.
5: Very long. Is is Madam X? Um, I don't search, I find. Correct. Yes. 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 That's a good song. Like. That's, great song. Yeah, mm-hmm. great song. Also,
2: I wanted to point out that Bowen just called the time before this the great before. The great
5: before. <laughs> I don't know. Is that
2: what is that what we're picking? I like that. I like that. It's kind of like when Jeremy O'Harris came on and gave us the choir for quarantine. The choir. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we have the great before for yeah. th- anything prior to take the it end or times. leave
5: it. Take it or leave it. Aida, where were you last take Pride?
2: It. <laughs> that this is a funny thing I was actually at World Pride in Brooklyn oh, when I was in New York, and it was my first and only Pride. So, I'm fine. I'm good. That's all I need right now. That's all I need. Like, I don't need, I don't want another pride situation that I can compare to world pride. Like, I'm good on that. Of course, of course. Things are fine.
3: It really (laughs) felt like a a gay gladiatorial event. Like, you would walk down the street and be like, well, there are the competitors from
1: Slovenia. Like, just everybody. (laughs) And we're all meeting
5: up at the McDonald's in the square or in the village. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I truly do remember before we went to one of those pride parties, Lewis, I think we all stopped at a McDonald's (laughs) in New York and we're just like (laughs) scarfing down food before we went into drugs and drank. And truly, I did not need McDonald's in my system at that point, but what Mm. are you going to do?
3: I believe that was also my idea. So I believe that can be considered (laughs) culpable.
1: You love a McDonald's. Truly, travel anywhere with Lewis, and he has a sixth sense for knowing where a McDonald's is. That's right. He can oh yeah, right. Sniff
2: them out. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a Haley Joel There's Osment a... of yeah, Mickey
4: <laughs>
2: D's. <yes.
3: laughs>
1: Bowen, I was gonna
3: say wh- the first time I ever watched you perform, I think was at the Duplex in New York. That's now four years ago. Yeah, and I think of what you do on Us and On Now. I think of Las Culturistas, and I wouldn't necessarily describe it as the same thing. No, and I was wondering how your sense of humor has evolved and has had to evolve since you've joined SNL.
5: I don't know. Like, I was trying to hack into the UCB sort of system, couldn't do it, and then ended up just, like, staging and producing little shows in Brooklyn where we would do, like, uh, an all-gay-male sort of um, staged adaptation of a Sex in the City episode. Or you do, like a court show with two drag queens being, um, the plaintiffs. I had no sort of plan around like what this was going to like lead to. I was, I was, I I was, I was, I remember like back then, like this is, yeah, five years ago being like, oh, I'd be very happy just being staffed somewhere, um, as a writer. But then I was doing sketch with Matt, um, and our, and our friends from college, and then that just kind of, like, just very inadvertently, like, laid the foundation for, like, oh, this is, like, going to be, like, what your calling card is? I, I God, I'm using <laughs> such horrible language right now. Um, but I – because – because and, and then I would, like, dabble in stand-up. I was so – I was, like, patching together all these different disciplines, and I really had no vision for, like, what it would become. And then getting hired as a writer on SNL was sort of a weird fluke. But then – it was just about um, using that first season as a writer to just, like, develop this, like, pitch brain for just, like, jokes. For just jokes, because that's sort of the currency of of any comedy show, but especially SNL, where it's, like, you are modulating jokes onto existing sketches from other writers. You're coming up with your own stuff. So I don't know. I feel like I spent that first year there becoming, like, an actual writer, because I never self-identified that way before. Mm -hmm. And then I think that kind of laid a very good foundation for being a cast member, which, which um, was helpful in just thinking of premises that I could be in. Because, like, before this season, like, I, I never thought of things in terms of, like, Asian stuff. Sometimes it would be queer stuff and gay stuff. But to have to, like, write towards, like, a general audience and to have, like, Lauren sit next to you during dress rehearsals and be like, let's, you know, cut to this person sooner or whatever and just, like, slowly drop little bits of, like, Wisdom, Because, I mean, for everything that people say about Lauren, like, he's seen it all, I think. And mm-hmm. it's sort of cool when he just kind of, like, gives you a cryptic riddle that you have to figure <laughs> out. Um, so, yeah. I feel like w- the transition between, like, d- doing random shit in Brooklyn to spending a year sort of in the trenches or whatever at SNL was very helpful in terms of, like... Crystallizing everything.
3: I just want to say that your what your, the impression of Lauren you just did uh-huh. reminded me of Alfred Hitchcock in two ways. Oh. One, <laughs> one, it specifically just sounded like him, like the way uh, his yeah, job yeah, moves. Yeah. And then secondly, the speaking in cryptics. Yeah, he would talk to actors and like give them Cockney slang to figure out or something. But there's something with <laughs> Lauren in particular where he's a man of few words, but you are supposed to deduce something from him.
5: Well, it's, it's always as you leave the room that he like drops something really crazy. I remember, I remember the second year I auditioned before I got hired to write. I had to fly to LA because that was when Colin and Che were hosting the Emmys and Lauren was out there producing it. But I had to fly to LA, meet Lauren in the polo room at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, and then we talked or whatever and then I got up to leave and then Lauren just goes, "Um, and Bowen, you, there's an improvement. I, I've noticed, <laughs> I've noticed an improvement. I was like, thank you. And then I walked away. Like he was talking about like the way that I improved like from like the season before. And then I remember one time I was just um, not happy about a profile that someone had written about me, and then I w- left his office after he sat me down and, like, I don't know, shared some showbiz story from, like, the 70s, and then he was like, and Bowen, I'm glad you're here. Like, he's just, like, he just, like, dropped something that, like, kind of, I don't know, is a sealant on the whole conversation that I think is, like, <laughs> kind of nice. I like him. I like <laughs> oh, that's Lauren. that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: The only time I've ever... I think, like, seeing Lorne in the wild was that Emmys, right? Oh, um, yeah. I, I remember specifically my friend Sam and I, um, we snuck into Colin and Che's Emmy party.
4: Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> good we job. Literally
1: wa- we literally walked around to the other side of the Roosevelt where the entrance to the party was <laughs> not there. And there was wow. a black security guard. And I remember going, hey, yeah, you know, like, we went out for a cigarette. uh is this, is this how we get back in? And he was like, oh, y'all yeah, was in the party. And I was like, yeah, he was like, just come on in. Yeah. <laughs> Great.
5: Very good.
1: Very uh, but good. seeing him hold court at the party, just sort of sitting there like the godfather um, with everyone, yeah. you know, sort of having fun around him and going to pay the respect. It was like the scene from the godfather with the daughter's wedding, you know? Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm, he, he, mm-hmm. he
1: probably ordered someone's death there, and I loved it. Probably. <laughs>
2: You know, it's probably hard to put a finger on it, but what is it that you miss the most about, you know, getting to be with your castmates and getting acclimated to being at SNL now that we're all in the house? Yeah,
5: I just miss the moment after you sort of, okay, let's say like um, on a Friday night you're in the building or you're like on a pre-tape shoot until like 2 a.m. and then you have to come in the next day at noon to start running through stuff. I miss coming in on a Saturday after everyone's, yeah like zonked out and everyone just checking in each other when they're sort of at their not lowest low but they're like in their valley of the week and they're about to like and this includes like writers and like people on the floor and everybody like and like we're all about to work towards a common goal that's going to like end no matter what in 12 hours so that's Mm -hmm. cool but like you know that's when you get like your little check-ins with people and that's when like someone will be like someone will be like come into my dressing room let's talk i don't know where where, where you where you just check in and have like honest conversations about things and i had like i had a lot of moments like that this season that were that were nice
2: that sounds beautiful and precious (laughs) and i need you to take every moment and conversation you've had with kate mckinnon and distill it to a conversation that i can read yes that's all i need (laughs) okay (laughs) that's all i need (laughs) this is this
5: is like the quintessential (laughs) bow and kate conversation there's only there's only been a handful but um there was a play that Kate and I both saw that we both didn't like. Um I'll I'll tell you guys offline what that was, but we bonded over Wonderful. Th- a Wonderful. dislike of a certain play. A very long, <laughs> long, long play. Um, okay. I think oh, I got uh, it. I think I I, think <laughs> I hated that play too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then oh god, I'm like spilling a lot of stuff <laughs> um, yes girl go, go. happy pride go. but no but one time Kate and I were on the floor for something and then we just started going this is so obnoxious but we started going on about fun little wordy words like verbose words that we like to whip out every now and then and like <laughs> we were both like "Ooh, what are some words like um and like phrases like um liminal space <laughs> she's she's a freaking Columbia girl, and she's and I'm like a pseudo intellectual in that way where I only signal my intellect by using words um, that as
2: a fear attack exactly yes <laughs> yeah, I understand.
5: but now na- but now I'm trying to like I'm now I'm trying to like come I'm I'm trying to like move away from that because I'm I'm reading the the books that I'm reading now that I have to read are just like the author flexing their vocab and I'm like I don't like this mm-hmm. so I'm, I I need to like do that less I think
3: but what's always interesting to me about Kate McKinnon is that. She is not a writer, correct? In, in a way that, like, many other SNL cast members, like, end up writing.
5: Yeah, sure. I mean, she's, she's, she writes. She's, like... Um, oh, she does. Okay. She writes, but she... But, yeah, and, and, but, and like, um, in terms of, like, the visual of, like, someone, like, clacking on a keyboard, she's someone who, like, will sort of, like, sit back and, like, pitch a joke like this or just, like, mm. stare blankly <laughs> into space and then just be like, what about this? You know, she has a writerly brain in terms of, like, generating stuff and pitching stuff there's such a weird um, unspoken thing at SNL where it's like the writers have to drive and be at the keyboard and the the cast members shouldn't. And it's like, it, it, would, it never makes sense to me. Like Ego and I will write together sometimes mm-hmm. and we're both just like, well, we both, like last season I would write for Ego, and I would be at the keyboard and she'd just sort of sit back and pitch stuff. But now it's like we're both on cast, but now we both have this fun balance of just like being at the keyboard, driving it at the dashboard to just like cut stuff, move stuff around, um, and it's fun. I, I just feel like mm-hmm. there's no reason for everybody to not be on the keyboard, that's all.
3: Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. Also, something fascinating about SNL to me now is like you and Julio Torres, another uh, uh, fabulous gay mm-hmm. writer, creator, work together a lot. I don't think there's ever been a like queer battery of creators at SNL before, has there? It used to be it would be like James Anderson who has
5: written Gays in Space and um, The Californians and like Secret Word and um, Gemini's Twin. Gemini's Twin was mm. – Love Gemini's, Gemini's Twin. G- Love Gemini's Twin. G- they, so, so gay when, fucking w- culture. Gay fucking <laughs> culture. Because you know what? Because um, whatever. Like the first few weeks of the of, of COVID, like the producers were like, hey, I guess we're just going to record some stuff from home and put it on YouTube and Instagram of cast members talking about their favorite sketches. Like what what, what would you write about? I was like – I immediately knew. I was like, because the first sketch I ever saw was from the first SNL I ever saw, which was Charlize Theron in 2000. And that was the. I think the first Gemini's twin, mm-hmm. where they sang "Whack Whack" on TRL,
3: and um, <laughs> this is a fake girl group featuring yes, yes. Anna Gasteyer. Yes, yes. Am I like, And in, 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 it's very in like neon-colored Destiny's Child outfits. Yes, yes,
5: yes. yes. <laughs> um, and I just remember that because it was the first sketch after. Because I looked this up, it was the first sketch after the monologue, so it was the first sketch of the show, and then I. Yeah, it just like imprinted onto me, and so and then James wrote that, and then and then Matt and I were at SNL, um, Sudi's first year as a writer, to just visit her at a show, and then we like crept upstairs and watched the show from the offices, and then James was there, and then James came out and was just this like, lovable gay pope who like was just chatting us up about Drag Race, and we were like, and then Matt had the instinct to ask him. He's like, I don't know why I have this feeling, but did you have anything to do with Gemini's Twin and Deep House Dish and, like, all these gay sketches? And then I said, and did you have anything to do with gays in space? And he was like, whoa, yeah, like, I wrote all of those. (laughs) Like, like, like he's sort of been the person, like, blowing the dog whistles for, like, decades at this point. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know, he's... He's the best. He's the best. But yeah, I mean, like, but he's 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 been there. I think this, I think he is looking to maybe move on to something else. But he was still there last season. This past season, we wrote a sketch with RuPaul that got cut for time where it's just me and him doing the scene from Dynasty between. Duncan. Oh, in yeah, yes. the mine. Yeah, in the mind. You
1: know I stand that scene.
5: Ira. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So James, but like James is like. The source for me, at least, and for Julio, like he and Julio worked together so often. Um, they wrote the Barbie Instagram sketches. If anyone's seen those, um, and then Julio and this guy Jeremy Byler wrote Wells for Boys. Fabulous. Um, Love that. And one. so yeah, yeah. So so Julio and James and Jeremy um, have sort of. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, couple, couple writers. It
1: is so great to know the person who wrote yes, all those formative, just like yeah. queer sketches that I loved. Before you go, gay rapid fire, you did bring up talking about Drag Race with him.
5: Uh-huh. Are
1: we team Jada? Are we happy that Jada won?
5: We were team Jada from day one. I mean, and then she she's the only one who had, like, multiple, like origin stories, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like, the thing about her... I mean, like but this this, this wasn't even on the show, but her talking on Instagram about how, like, growing up, she didn't have nice things, so she had to develop this, like, mindset of making the nice things for herself. And then at the finale, her talking about her grandma and watching, like, Liz Taylor movies with her and how her drag is supposed to, like, be a tribute to, like, that time with her grandma. It's just beautiful. Because then Crystal and Gigi were great, but then Crystal's narrative was, I'm weird, and Gigi's was, I'm confident. But Jada's was, like, I... I love making things, and I love looking glamorous and beautiful. And ah, oh, those lip syncs! To get up by Sierra, are you kidding me? The Great. minute she <laughs> got
1: off, the minute she got off the couch to yes. that song, I was like, "That song was a gay moment." Yes, that I stand years ago from the fucking Step Up soundtrack.
5: Ah. Uh. <laughs> And like to, to do that from her carpeted living room, like gorgeous.
1: <laughs> and she's from my hometown, and so oh, um, so seeing the video the next day of the people, cars, like do, cars doing the a procession, beautiful down a street in Milwaukee that I recognized. I was like, it was so great to see like the black community and queer community in Milwaukee showing up for her. Mm. I was like, that's so insane. Right? I'm like a hometown hero. I'm like, yeah, Gigi winning would have been nice, you know, like. But it's like Brooklyn, you know, it's New Uh, York. It was was nice seeing a queer drag queen, Midwest, bringing that home. Yes. It it made drag race feel sort of more important again. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And finally, um, I did see you Saturday at Ty Sunderland's um, Chromatica. Zoom party.
5: You looked amazing. (laughs) Thank you. You looked
1: so good. (laughs) Um, I had one of those like crystal um, face masks that I like I saw Billie Eilish wearing one time and I found um, (laughs) I found it on sale at opening ceremony when they were going out of business and had to buy it. beautiful. What are your thoughts on Chromatica?
5: I love that there's no ballads on it. Totally agree. Yeah. Fair. Yes. Um, I think I still need like a couple more listens of it, I think, to like form like a a fully hardened opinion on it. But I really like it. I really like it.
3: It feels to me like a couple of times she hit the anthem generator button in order to create some of these Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They blend a little together for me. The anthem generator button. But... Um, there are certain songs I love A Thousand Doves Which is the gayest metaphor ever So funny mm-hmm. And I love um, Babylon Yes Babylon. Babylon Okay Which is definitely a tribute to Not just Vogue But songs like Too Funky By George Michael That time when we were obsessed mm-hmm. With supermodels And strutting down runways Yes, yes. Um, Which is mm-hmm. great That said It's literally a song about Babylon And she wiki'd wick- <laughs> maybe two facts About what Babylon is Including that it's old
4: what is a
5: 16th century smile? Is she talking about like the Mona Lisa or something? What does that have to do with Babylon?
3: I think she said 16th century BC. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, goodness. So that's a little bit closer at any rate, but you know what? Probably
1: not exact. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hearing her say that's gossip is is the high point of the album. Besides Chromatica <laughs> yeah. 2 into 9 911.
5: Yes, so. yes, yes. You're about to say nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> i want gaga to drop <laughs> <laughs> i want gaga to release a 9 11 song <laughs> it's time i haven't time. healed i haven't <laughs> healed quite exactly.
2: yet exactly cap my healing yes
5: i um, No. it's great yeah
1: <laughs> it feels like art pop but edited to me and um I really like it more and more each time I listen to it. So Yeah.
5: There there's a meme where um it, it's it's two men carrying a baby and, and the text is I love my two gay dads. The baby is has chromatica the album art as a head <laughs> and the dads have art pop and born this way as heads. Um oh. which, which I feel like, yeah, that 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 works, that tracks.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. Uh thank you so much for being here, Bowen. Thanks for having excited me. Excited to
5: all. have
2: you. Thanks on for Keep coming it.
5: on. I love you very much. I hope everyone's Keeping well,
1: yeah,
2: we're trying. And honestly, yeah. I
1: always love that um, Lost Culturistas and Keep It drop on the same day.
5: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How often do you guys get sc- screenshots from listeners who are like, "Wow,
1: well, Wednesday Gay Podcast Drop"?
5: That's <laughs> like, just our covers stacked on top of each other. Yeah,
3: that's great. Gay Podcast Sweepstakes—we're all a part of. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Happy to provide. Thanks, Bowen. And as I just said, Las Culturistas dropped on Wednesdays, same day as Keep It. So listen to them both on the same day. Listen to Keep It first, but then listen to Las Culturistas.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: Las Culturistas is only an extra treat. You must start with Keep It as a rule. <laughs>
0: When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com.
1: Before we get to keep it, I wanted to provide our listeners with a reading list of some books that can help them understand America's history of systemic racism. And there's also some books that just generally illuminate black lives. Um, they're from artists and writers that I admire. And um, there's some books that I don't think that we've mentioned on the podcast before, but... Um, Obviously, you know, we've mentioned books like The Warmth of Other Suns, and um, we talked about White Fragility earlier in this podcast, so you've heard about those. Uh, But I want to provide a list of some books for you all to read, also some films that you can watch, Uh, and I'll provide as well some black-owned bookstores where you can order these from. Do not get them from Amazon. Bezos has enough of our coins. Um so first I would recommend Audrey Lord's uh, Your Silence Will Not Protect You. Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. They Can't Kill Us All. The Story of the Struggle for Black Lives by Wesley Lowry. If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. And also The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Freedom is a constant struggle. Ferguson, Palestine, and the Foundations of a Movement by Angela Y. Davis. So, You Want to Talk About Race by Igeoma Aluo. Some films I would also recommend are Barry Jenkins' adaptation of If Beale Street Could Talk, Rise, it's a David LaChapelle film about the creation of crumping, which was actually a dance born out of protest and, um, police violence responding to it. Um, the documentary LA 92 about the 92 LA riots and a film called the interrupters, which was from PBS. Anyway, uh, I think that is a small list to start with and, um, some places that I could recommend you get these books from are places like a different book list, Ashay by the Bay, um, Key Bookstore, Mahogany Books, Essawan Books, Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books, Hakeem's Bookstore, Harriet's Bookshop, and the Lit Bar Bookstore. There will be a list of these black-owned bookshops on crooked.com. Just go to crooked.com and look under Keep It, uh, where this episode will be listed. Along with the episode, there will also be this book list and... Links to where you can order these books from. We'll be right back with Keep It.
3: And we're back with our favorite segment of the show. And yet again, the only part of the show with a name. So it feels awkward that any other part would be our favorite part. <laughs> it's Keep It. <laughs> Um, I've elected to go first since mine is extremely minor. We're going to move on to my learned colleagues momentarily. <laughs> Keep it as we do every year to Ivanka Trump, who has tweeted on June 1st, the beginning of Pride Month, less hate, more love, hashtag Pride 2020. Here's my feeling about Pride posts. You have to know three gay people in order to make one. That's my feeling. <laughs> and those gay people cannot be either Peter Thiel Or Jafar, who I know are in her little black book. So, moving right along. uh, uh, (laughs) Queer people are no slouches to realizing who is an actual queer ally. Though I guess shamelessness is the hallmark of the entire Trump family. So I'm not surprised, but I am done with it. And annoyed.
1: To be fair... She's in the White House, and um, I feel like the White House is a queer space, since it's where Reagan let Rock Hudson die.
3: That's right, yes, which was... <laughs> and and Nancy
1: Reagan matched her indifference with the China, so it was really beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, moving right along. Since you had to keep it to like a white woman who is doing the most, uh, before we get to our serious keep it... There are a couple other white women who've just been wild this week. One
2: Yes, multiple one, keepers this week.
1: One <laughs> I don't know if people saw the other day because it was sort of buried in the news, what with everything that's going on, of course, but Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds donated money, you know, to like a bailout fund, which thank God, um very grateful that they did that, but they donated money because they realized just now, eight years later, that it was wrong of them to get married on a plantation. Oh, we're
3: still <laughs> oh, after that. Wow. Yes, that was that was a
1: problem. <laughs> of oh, theirs. wow. Yes, still after that because apparently, just now in 2020, they realized that that was wrong. <laughs> People have been dragging them for that for like a fucking <laughs> decade, <laughs> and it took this week for them to be like, "Oh, oh, that's what you meant."
4: <laughs> well, now
2: that you're rioting about it.
1: Racism. <laughs> Even Soup Plantation <laughs> bowed out at this point. Yeah.
2: <laughs> soup Plantation.
1: And maybe one of the best blank is over parties I've seen on Twitter since um, Has Justine Sacco Landed was uh, last night's very... Late into the evening, takedown of Leah Michelle.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please, Phil, from everyone, including
3: cast members on the show, to extras. Yes.
1: So, Leah Michelle, a few days ago, did a tweet about George Floyd, um, hashtag Black Lives Matter, etc. Last night, one of her co-stars, Samantha Marie. Uh, discovered this tweet and quote tweeted it with, in all caps, LMAO, remember when you made my first television gig a living hell? Because I'll (laughs) never forget. I believe you told everyone that if you had the opportunity, you would shit in my wig. (laughs) Amongst other traumatic microaggressions that made me question a career in Hollywood. Can I talk about the beauty of the phrase shit in my wig? It is four perfect syllables. There's no space. There's no air. It's music. Like just telling a woman on set, bitch, I'll shit in your wig.
2: I can't wait to steal that and use this after we get out of our fucking houses. That's so good. That's
1: so good. And then what happened was an avalanche of former cast members throwing shade at Leah and chiming in. Alex Newell quoted it with the Drag Race gif of Coco Montrese going, Get her, Jade. Uh, Amber Riley tweeted a gif of herself drinking from a mug, <laughs> sipping the tea. Someone named Dabia, who was on one episode uh, and played an animal husbandry companion, I guess. That's what it said on IMDb. Uh, wrote, girl, you wouldn't let me sit at the table with the other cast members because I didn't belong there. Fuck you, Leah. And um, like, I saw Melissa Ben-Wast just liking all the tweets. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> she didn't comment, but I was going to Glee cast members. uh Pages to see what they were saying, and I saw that in her likes, she was liking all the tweets, but she didn't say anything. Truly, truly, just a wild, fun evening. And of course, it brought up stuff like the time Leah Michelle was like very sad that she didn't get cast in West Side Story because she learned Spanish for the role. Um, she's also not Latina. Um, and <laughs> someone reminded me there's an old gawker post from 2010. Uh, And the video's not there anymore, but apparently at the Emmys, Billy Bush presented her with a cupcake, I guess, for her birthday, and she called it Ghetto on live TV. So um, I guess uh, a long time come and keep it to Miss (laughs) Leah Brunette ambition, Michelle. (laughs) I'm excited for
3: the potential buddy comedy here with her and Constance Wu. Not exactly the same universe, but I do want to see them tangle. (laughs)
1: I don't know if this makes things more or less likely, but another keep it, too, to the tweet that Ryan Murphy had the other week, too, where he was talking about wanting to reboot Glee with, like, Leah Michelle and Ben Platt.
3: Oh, yeah, that was very strange. And he also added something about how if he had only had access to this kind of talent at the time or something, I felt it was accidentally shady to the cast he had. but I'm not sure.
2: I personally don't want to see Ben Platt reduce himself to being ingly. <laughs> there. I think that's I definitely it. fair.
3: Aida, what is your keep okay. it this week?
2: My keep it this week is, of course, on a somber note, we are in the middle of what feels like, you know, and is one of the most historic moments that I've lived through, and maybe even of the past 20, 30 years. So a lot is going on. My keep it goes to the Louisville Police Department. Um, Just as we all know, the National Guard has been deployed in many major cities. And we're also in the midst of watching incessant videos of cops brutalizing protesters. And it's very easy to normalize that and become desensitized to it. But I just wanted to raise awareness about a killing that happened on June 1st, early in the morning. Far, far away from where the protests were at, David McAtee was fatally shot in Louisville, Kentucky, Around midnight on June 1st. So we've lost another black man's life and it's another death that we're not even talking about and don't have time to talk about right now and it's unfortunate. So the Louisville Police Department had their body cams turned off and conveniently last night the only other location that could have potentially had surveillance footage of David's murder was on fire and no one really knows the cause of the fire but... It was a wrongful death situation and a black man is involved and cops are involved, so we can only assume. But I just want to tell everyone that we should remember to be outraged right now about his death because this man was a provider, a business owner, a community member, very, very well loved and revered in the Louisville community, and he was killed yesterday. So his family is now going to have to pay for memorial services, funeral services, what we can only assume will be a wrongful death case and litigation. So we have to put them in a situation where they can have enough money to defend themselves and bring justice to David's life. So I'm urging you guys to go to the GoFundMe page that was started for him. It is now being given fully to the family, so they will be the sole benefactors. But we have to raise money for them. Systemically, we live in a world where black people are not actually provided the resources that they need to fight cases and to bring justice to their family and to situations where we are killed. So donate what you can and if you can, and even if you can't, like we were talking about earlier in this podcast, use donating as a practice for you and for investing in your community that you live in. I know that we're all donating to a lot of black-led organizations right now that are focusing on ending police brutality, but I also urge you to give money to this cause as well. We have to give his family as much relief as we can, as much calm as we can. And Mm -hmm. we have to play our part. Justice for David McAtee.
1: Yeah. And if you can't um, donate, you know, obviously share the GoFundMe, you know, amplify it to your friends and followers who can donate. Um, I learned about it through your tweet initially, Aida, uh, and I'm very grateful that you did tweet about it and started the GoFundMe. And I saw how much money it has raised so far. Um, So thank you so much. For doing that we're
2: about to hit two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars, and that's like unheard of especially for someone who i've organized small things and of course the gofundme is easy to make it's not that noble but i didn't really think that i'd be able to help people or inspire people so you just have to do the thing do the thing that you're scared to do and hopefully you can create any any increment of help during this time but yeah
1: and um louisville you know also as i mentioned before the city where Um, Breonna Taylor was shot, you know, and still hasn't been any justice for her, right? Yeah. And then there was that dumb story about how the police chief of Louisville was fired, yeah, uh, because of the body cams, and then it came out that he was a month away from retiring anyway, so still got
2: his benefits (laughs) and his pension. So really, he just like fast forwarded his way to Florida, like
1: (laughs) (laughs) took a vacation. Very,
2: very painful. Um.
1: (laughs) But, you know, speaking of all of this and, you know, there there was another death that we haven't gotten to talk about on the show, too, Um, it being Pride Month. I wanted to shout out Tony McDade, a black trans man in Tallahassee who was um, shot. Just thinking about these police shootings and thinking about these police states that we see us living in, thinking of Los Angeles, where um, the police chief have the gall to say George Floyd's death is also on the hands of the police and the protesters. Uh, And then he had to walk back that statement and seeing our mayor just standing behind him and the way that he props up the LAPD. um, My keep it is to police, but specifically our industry, the entertainment industry, in how police are glorified. Um, how we have basically been um, trained to revere police officers and see them as the heroes in every fucking story, you know? I think of um, all of us growing up watching shows like – NYPD Blue, you know, um, Law and Order specifically. Uh, We're constantly seeing a program from Dick Wolf about police, you know, and feeling like we are empathizing with them and really just making them sort of this everyman in um, American storytelling constantly. It feels like propaganda it feels like a fetishization of um crime and um non-white people as criminals and um i think that television writers screenwriters novelists like people really need to take a good hard look at what sort of content we're making going forward and i think one of the things that really needs to go is crime dramas um uh, that yeah. center police officers yeah.
3: I think specifically something that bothers me about this now that it's been brought to my attention because I've not, until this week I've I truly have never thought about how persuasive this kind of programming is. These Dick Wolf shows specifically are comfort viewing. You watch them because the police are in control and they have to deal with twisted minds and twisted people, and the fact that it's in these people's hands is supposed to be uh, pacifying you know, to viewers. Like, you, you you, watch that show and just veg out, right? Like, there's not much thinking going on. It's just the right people uh, are dealing with this. It's in the right hands. And that really is creepy. It really is not analytical. And it's not fair to the people that the justice system routinely fails.
1: And specifically as a black person, um, growing up in an era where um, black comedians... Were often cast as cops in films, you know, um, so they could be funny avatars for um, institutional racism, and um, just sort of like a nice face to put on police. And they always played a character who was like bucking against the system, right, and proving that if there's one good cop, uh, they can persevere and that there's always a white police chief who um trust them and like will eventually help them um seek justice or um <laughs> in shows like brooklyn 99 where there's always like a black police chief uh there's always a fucking black police chief in film or tv that i don't think translates to the real world <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's just to show that you know like Upward mobility is possible for black people in the police force. And, um, isn't it great to look at, um, a black person on this side of justice? It's, it feels like it's progress, but it's not really progress. Cause as we've seen this week, black cops, uh, don't get rid of the fact that the police is a system created, you know, um, out of slave catching and um, terrorizing black communities and um, just placing a black cop into that atmosphere does nothing, you know? Uh, we In Atlanta, it was black cops who were uh, fired and put on leave uh, and desk duty for just being um, violent with protesters. And it's like, there goes your theory that, you know, a black cop is gonna be a better cop, you know? Um, and I think through seeing, like, uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Martin Lawrence, Will Smith, you know, Chris Tucker, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, like playing these cops. We're sort of desensitized and we're we're trained uh, to almost clockwork orn style to think that like these people are the people who protect us. And that's it.
2: I was actually thinking about the movie Black and Blue and if I need to see it now. <laughs>
1: I need to watch all of Shades of Blue. If that's something
3: I know about me, but I won't speak for anybody else here.
1: Uh, the amount of episodes of The Closer I fucking watched.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that secretly has like nine seasons too. Yes. Yeah.
1: Brenda Lee fucking Johnson. And then I remember an, like towards the end, there was a storyline about like whether or not she'd coerced a... Um, confession out of someone um or put a witness in danger and you're always supposed to be on the side of the cop when something like that happens right it's always like Mm -hmm. oh you know instinctively that they didn't use force when um dealing with this witness they didn't do anything wrong um and you're waiting for them to prove themselves to um a system that's trying to take them down, right? You know, like, why is internal affairs always the villain in these shows? Yeah. Anyway, let's keep it this week. Yep. Um, I wish I could go, shit in a cop's wig. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to find an opportunity. I see
3: it for you. I'm excited. Um, I'm worried. I'll,
2: I'll curate it so <laughs> that it can happen. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, thank you again to Bo and Yang for joining us. Um, And this has been Keep It. We'll see you next time. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline, like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melconian, for filming and editing our video content every week.
0: When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side. With Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com.